Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. Well, and a very warm and dry welcome to you to Calvary Church today as we... uh... Uh, celebrate the Reformation immediately following this, but we also wrap up our sermon series on the five solas of the Reformation. And today we are talking about our only ambition as Christians, and that is the glory of God alone. And today what I want to do tonight is uh, basically talk about three things, as I always do. I want to speak about what the glory of God alone actually is, and then I want to say where it's found, and then I want to tell you, um, because, and you've got to talk about where it's found uh, specifically, because without that it becomes an abstraction. And then I want to tell you about how our only ambition, the glory of God alone, manifests itself in our lives. Well, the scriptures are pretty clear that uh, God is glorious. Uh, We sing it in our service, glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. The Psalms are indeed in the entire Old Testament. It reminds us that the heavens declare the glory of God and that God shares his glory with nothing else, or in other words, there is none like him either. And glory is typically understood as an attribute of excellence that makes an object praiseworthy. So, for example, the glory of a flower is in its beauty, or the glory of a strong man is in his strength. The glory of Eastway Bodega is in its bacon, egg, and cheese. And, uh, and so the heavens, in, this, in like manner, the heavens and creation and every living thing reveal the majesty, the wonder, the greatness of our God. And in recognizing this, the Bible calls us to celebrate God and give him what is rightly his, which is glory. And we give God glory not because he's needy. We give God glory not because he has an ego or some sort of unmet, unfulfilled need. Rather, instead, we give God glory because it's the natural response of appreciation when you have experienced God's magnificence. I'll give you an example of how this works and plays out in our life. Uh, my family, every summer, goes to the Catskills for a month. And the first time I went up there about six years ago, uh, we went for a month, and I was completely blown away by the whole place and how beautiful upstate New York actually is. The amazing farms, the cool little restaurants, which are run by folks who got pushed out of Brooklyn, um, the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the view of the Hudson River Valley, I mean, from the top of the Catskill Mountains is stunning. And on a clear day when you can look across and you can see the Berkshires in Massachusetts, and then you can look upstate and see the Adirondack. You're up in some of those places. You can actually look and see the glow of New York City from a distance. When it is hot and sticky down here in Manhattan, it is 70 degrees in the middle of the Catskills. And so literally one of my favorite things to do in the entire world is to experience the glory of the Catskills. I'll take the ski lift up to the top of Hunter Mountain and just sit and hang out there for a couple of hours. And if you ever get to know me for any long period of time, you'll find that I soon become an evangelist for the Catskills. I'll tell you never ever go to the Hamptons again because the Catskills is where it's at. And I'll tell you about how awesome they are and you should really plan your next trip up there this summer. But this is it. 
This is how, and this is my first point, this is how the glory, how, how, it, how it is with the glory of God. This is what it is to give God glory alone. When you experience something glorious, when you experience something majestic, you naturally want to share it. And you express an appreciation of the glory you have experienced. This is how we hope you'll think about pledging here at Calvary St. George's. And how you'll think about giving, not to make the baby Jesus happy, but rather you give, you pledge, you worship, you glorify God because it is the divinely natural response when we experience his awesomeness. So, then to pull it out of the abstraction and make it real, where is the glory of God found? Because it is true, the way we talk about glory in a lot of Christian circles and in, and in general, there's a lot of abstraction and there's a lot of misunderstanding to our modern ears. C.S. Lewis put it in his great essay, The Weight of Glory. He said this, and I think he really articulates the abstraction. He says, there's no getting away from the fact that the idea of glory is very prominent in the New Testament and in the early Christian writings. Salvation is constantly associated with palms, crowns, white robes, thrones, and splendor, like the sun and the stars. And he goes on to say, Glory suggests two ideas to me of which one seems wicked and the other ridiculous. Either glory means to me fame or it means luminosity. And this is where C.S. Lewis has his English humor that nobody got this morning. And it is actually not that funny, but I thought it was funny when I wrote it. But just listen, he says, As for the first, since to be famous means to be better known than other people, the desire for fame appears to me as a competitive passion and therefore a hell rather than heaven. And for the second, who wishes to become a kind of light bulb? Now, and this is true, glory can quickly become an abstraction. But when we're talking, and, and this is why when most people are talking about God's glory, they have no idea actually what they're talking about at all. They tend to associate it with things that are really big. They tend to have a platonic view of the whole thing and that, you know, if things are going well for me down here, they must be going well for me up there. So glory to God, you know? And that is a complete detachment from what Christians have historically understood the glory of God to be about. You see, if you detach the glory of God from the cross of Christ, then glory is a total abstraction. It's all speculation. However, the Bible makes it clear that the profundity of God's glory is revealed in the opposites. Luther, and I would be remiss if I didn't quote him on a Reformation Sunday, referred to this glory as subcontrario. It works opposite the way you naturally think and are inclined to think. So, for example, when we think of God's glory, we tend to think of big things, you know, the heavens being ripped open and a divine-inspired firework program going off. You know, I once heard people singing about the glory of God and they were going on about fire falling down on us. And I was like, man, that is judgment. That is not good news when fire falls on you. But anyway, I digress. That is not what the glory of God is about. In the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, God te- the Bible tells us that the glory of God is something a little different. The Bible tells us that God's glory is oftentimes revealed in things that the world would regard as weak. 
that God's glory is revealed in that which the world would regard as foolish, that which the world would regard as ordinary and not all that special. And it culminates in a rabbi from Nazareth. Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? As St. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And this is a direct reference to Jesus crucified. The glory of God is revealed in the cross. And this is my second point. As Christians, the glory of God is connected to the cross because the purpose of the cross is to put God's glory on display in a subcontrario way for all the world to hear and to know that salvation belongs to our God and that our God is the one who reveals his glory in saving the whole world. You see, most people see the cross and they just see Jesus kind of hanging there. Most people and a lot of Christians see the cross and they think it's just another means to a better and more improved, glorious, in an abstract sort of sense, kind of life. However, when properly understood, the cross tells us to understand God and his glory in ways... To to understand the glory of God in the cross is to understand God's glory in ways you may never, ever have thought about before. For the cross proclaims if the glory of God is revealed in something lowly and demeaning as a crucified Nazarene rabbi named Jesus, then God's glory definitely has something to say and will be revealed in the lowly and demeaning areas of your life as well. And he's revealing himself in those areas, not making them better, as if that's any helpful, but he is revealing himself in those areas and through the process of death and resurrection, making them and all things brand new. You see, and this is very important, when God's glory is taken out of the realm of abstraction and understood in its proper context, the cross, then our only ambition The glory of God alone in our lives is made manifest in compassion and service towards our neighbor. The great psychologist David Destin uses science to back this up in an article from 2012 entitled appropriately, The Science of Compassion. And Dr. Destin writes, the distress, and this is very important, listen to this, the distress we see someone experiencing, the compassion we feel for them, It isn't determined by the objective facts on the ground. It's determined by who's looking. I mean, you just think about it, you know. It's it's not determined by the objective facts on the ground. I mean, other than Puerto Rico being used as a political tool, basically the entire world has forgotten that the entire Caribbean was also wiped off the map this last summer. You know, I mean, we've basically moved on from Houston, and I met this last week in a priest in Houston. It is still very, very real to a lot of people there, but we've all moved on. You know, Florida is just forgotten. It's very important. It's not determined by who's looking. It's not, the doctor goes on to say, it's not the severity or the objective facts of a disaster that motivate us to feel compassion and to help. It's whether or not we see ourselves as the victims. 
whether we can identify with the victims. It's very important. Did you hear that? And this is my third point. Our only ambition for the glory of God alone is not the result of how much we identify with God, but in the realization and the joy that comes from understanding how much God has identified with us, how much God has actually loved us and has freely forgiven us. As the author of Hebrews writes, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That's very important. You yourself cannot identify with Jesus. He was the sinless Son of God. But the good news of the gospel is that he identifies with you. And when you realize that, and you realize that we have this wonderful high priest who, as the author of Hebrews goes on to say, is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. That's a very powerful word, a high priest who's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Then what he says in the next verse makes a whole lot more sense. He says, let us with confidence then draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need, not only in our own lives but in the lives of our neighbor. And it is in this mercy that's been received this grace that's found, that hits your ears with this gospel, that hits your hearts with this gospel, that creates and sends us out with our only ambition intact. Not above a dying world. That's the problem oftentimes with the church is it tries to get above the world and accuse it. But instead, when the grace hits your heart, and your only ambition becomes the glory of God, then you can begin to identify with the world because but for the grace of God go you. And with the eyes of your your hearts opened, lead others to this glorious God who meets us now and always in the wounds of his Son. To God be the glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. Produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's, in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.